Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to our podcast. Uh, today we have with us uh, Minahil Khan and Zohar Shahid, who are members of our Center for Human Rights. Um, we're really happy to have them here. Today's podcast was primarily focused on what the center does, why we established it at RSIL, and the wonderful work that you know the team is doing at the center. So um, just before we begin and go into, and, and I ask questions from Minahil and, and Zohar, um, what I wanted to really discuss was uh, why we decided to set up the center. So for the past, um, I would say, two, two and a half decades, RSL, one of RSL's core areas has been you know, international human rights law and focusing on, on how you know, Pakistan can be better can better adhere to its international obligations, um, looking at you know a range of factors uh, such as ratifying treaties and the opinions that RSL has given to various treaties, uh, to various um, you know entities within Pakistan, ministries uh, on on ratification of particular uh, human rights treaties, um, and then the actual research that we've done, where we've incorporated uh, a lot of domestic law into our study of international law and seen how international human rights obligations are actually implemented. Uh, domestically within Pakistan system. So I think all of that rich experience that RSL has over, you know, two and a half decades now, uh, bringing that into one, uh, under one roof um, and having a dedicated team uh, focusing on it uh, has really been the aim um, here. And what we've also noticed is that, you know, people have within our team uh, wanted to, you know, develop their um, careers in, in human rights. Um, and traditionally, the legal profession hasn't really, other than, you know, litigation and uh, and things like that really hasn't given that option to a lot of people so i think rsl um has done is doing something unique in that sense and uh, we're really really happy that you know we have minahil leading this uh, initiative so uh, minahil i wanted to discuss you know some of the work that you know the center has done um could you elaborate on that a little bit so over the past few years, we've been doing a lot of work on human rights, as you just um, mentioned. And I think for us, the biggest um, achievement, so to say, was, you know, um, this, uh, the like documenting Pakistan's state practice on human rights. So we looked at all the seven core conventions relating to human rights and their domestic implementation. So we looked at laws, we looked at the case law, we looked at constitutional, correlating constitutional obligations. We looked at, you know, the institutions also. And this was a very vast study. Uh, which was undertaken to understand the gaps in our system and how we can bridge those. And I think, you know, the one thing, the one takeaway from this was that we do have a pretty comprehensive legal landscape for human rights in Pakistan. But the issues which the issue which usually comes up is that this the legal uh, redressal mechanisms are underutilized. And that's mostly because people aren't aware of their rights and people aren't aware of procedures. And even those, you know, the, the, your law enforcement officials or your even those within your, your justice sector actors are also not very, um, in, they, they're not entirely um, proficient with the provisions in the law. And I think that's something that, you know, we at the center will really like, you know, aim to do, which is just to create more awareness on the kinds of rights that people have. And, um, you know, even with the other work that we've done, we've done a lot of work on cr the criminal justice system and its intersection with human rights. So, you know, dealing with those who've been deprived of their liberty, whether that's through preventive detention or whether it's, you know, your remand provisions or it's just a simple arrest. So what are the rights that people have in all of these situations? And um, almost every interview that we've had and almost every law that we've and almost every you know case that we've taken up there are always certain flaws in and and, and the flaws usually relate to people not being given their 
um, fundamental human rights. No, absolutely. And uh, just going back to the project that um, you know Minal is speaking about, um, the you know documenting Pakistan's state practice on human rights. This was I remember when we were designing it was a mammoth exercise because human rights is one of those things that um, you can't study in a vacuum, right? It has to be. It's a very living uh, organism that is, de- and, and it, there's so much intersection between various rights, but then various other social conditions that are happening in Pakistan. So, for example, honor crimes, or um, whether you have religious uh, issues that come about, uh, and how they impact uh, human rights. So, it's been a, hu- a hugely fascinating um, study for us as well. But from your side, uh, Minhal, do you, what do you think were some of the the most challenging issues when it came to this particular project? I think perhaps the most challenging uh, would have would be the issues related to women, and of course minorities. But in terms of women, I think you know our main focus of this was on you know violence against women, and you know and mostly you know we looked at gender based violence in a lot of detail and uh, our rape laws and you know the the evolution of our rape laws really mm-hmm. and how that's affected. Um, women over the years and um, we also looked at you know rights of children and how we have very basic issues within our legal system whether I mean, you know something as fundamental as like you know the definition of a child it's it varies by law Absolutely. and I think that's so problematic so you know this was definitely an area which really um, you know s- stood apart and we looked at you know the right to information in a lot of detail we looked at the freedom of expression in a lot of detail as well and i think you know these things are so relevant these oh absolutely i think the the entire debate now is is uh, focusing around, around these issues and, and i think one of the the biggest problems um that we see in pakistan is that the debate is either you know a social cultural debate uh, or it's a legal debate and really the link between the two is 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 missing in a lot of situations where um you know you have issues which um uh, you know, have very strong social cultural dimensions, but then you know enforcement of those those violations, the, which are essentially rights, which are legal, um, uh, you know, creature altogether, and then their enforcement in the courts and how to protect them. Um, and I think one of the biggest challenges that you know, as I was working on this, was um, seeing that what we have on the books is very difficult to implement on the ground. Right? Like, I mean, you can have wonderful legislation, uh, but then having the the state mechanism to be able to enforce that becomes a, a completely different animal altogether. I mean, I just like an example of that, like, you know, we have a we have a law on domestic violence, but it talks yeah. about, you know, a restraint order. And like, how do you implement that? And, you exactly. know, like I mean, one of the biggest criticisms when we were drafting this report mm. was that, you know, within we live in joint families. Mm. How are you supposed to mark that space for yourself? Mm. You know, where women here, when we get married, it's mm. not like, you know, we automatically there's no sense of co-ownership in Pakistan. So how do you, you know, actively implement um yeah some of these and I think even within the act it does deal with issues where you are living in like a collective setting but uh, in practicality that might be very difficult to implement because the ground reality will be completely different to what is actually happening in the law and that happens with a lot of laws but I think some things that are really challenging are not being able to identify that sometimes legislation might have gaps as well I think that is something that I've really struggled with, that um, legislature or like people who are behind certain laws would be not very open to the idea that there are certain gaps that you would like to improve upon. Um, for it, And even when there are a lot of years that have gone by since an act has come up, there's just not enough, um, I think, amendments or just like an idea that some laws need change and they need to move with our um change in society as well. So that is something that hasn't happened. Absolutely. And, and just, you know, uh, 
addressing that point as well. Uh, I think one of the biggest problems is that it's often such a big struggle to pass, you know, these uh, women-friendly laws or, or human rights compliant laws that the next time when it comes to um, amending them or improving them, that will yeah, really isn't yeah. there, you know. So, uh, like, I remember the protection against uh, harassment, protection of women against harassment at the Workplace yeah. Act. Uh, it was a huge, you know, decade-long struggle to exactly. get that passed. Yeah. And then now we haven't seen much change to it. And there's, you know, time has uh, elapsed, a lot of time has elapsed, and um, really being able to fine-tune it to the needs of today. I think that's what a lot of legislation is also like. And you see these gaps within cases. So you see that there are certain gaps within the law that translates badly into cases and then that leads to bad judgments. But it's just something that has not been talked about enough. I think. Oh, that's an excellent point. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, sorry, now let's let's get back to Minali. You were discussing some of the other projects that, that we were doing, right? So, so um, I, I mean, you know, in relation to the other projects that we're doing, we've also undertaken a really big uh, and a very um, expansive national baseline assessment on uh, business and human rights in Pakistan. And again, that also looks at like, you know, a vast variety of, uh, of issues, whether it's, you know, I mean, the right to equality, freedom from discrimination, right to information, again, freedom of expression, rights of whistleblowers, yeah. human rights defenders. Um, these are all issues that we've looked at. And we've looked at all the state protections that are available. And in some cases, they're are very few hmm. and you know just being able to identify where we are not adequately protected has been one of the has been one of the features of this baseline assessment um and in addition to that um, you know speaking of the criminal justice system we've been working quite we've worked quite a few years on this and um just looking at how you know many of um these rights are abridged through our, um, you know, through our criminal justice laws, whether it's your terrorism laws or it's your regular criminal procedure code. And, um, you know, so these, these are some of the areas that we've worked on. Absolutely. And I, and I remember especially looking at uh, counterterrorism laws, which for Pakistan were, were, you know, a huge, huge issue. Uh, I remember RSL's publications, what we call the, the Orange Book and the Red Book, um, which was our study of basically uh, how human rights compliant or, or the lack thereof, really, uh, is Pakistan's counterterrorism legislative landscape, uh, legal regime. Uh, and then we did a separate study on the entire um, anti-terrorism court trial process, invest from investigation to uh, appeal, um, and where human rights issues really came about, about there. Um, so I think that was a that was a fascinating study. And now that we have you know a separate center C three uh, on criminal justice reform and capacity building, what I'm really looking forward to is is the the synergy between. Uh, you know, the Center for Human Rights and and the criminal justice work that we're doing. Because I, I think just naturally, because the team is so, uh, you know, we have such a co cohesive team, uh, a lot of the work that we do, uh, you know, has a human rights element, a very strong human rights element to it. Um, and so, so that's something that I'm really happy to be, uh, uh, I'm really looking forward to. Um, and Minahil, uh, especially building from the business and human rights uh, project that we have, um, and I know there was there there was a big focus on you know the the impact of corporate activity on women and girls. So what really did did RSL do there, or did the center do uh, within that? So with relation to women and girls, we actually launched a Women at Work series earlier this well last year, and it was launched in January this year. Mm. Um, these basically these are like a series of videos which highlight some of um, the protections that are actually available to women, mm -hmm. and you know how to ensure women's economic empowerment, mm. and the idea behind this is that you know you need to if you want to bring women into your workforce you need to have certain provisions for them 
because women do have special and different needs women end up being mothers they are also responsible for a lot of the work at home and um you know unfortunately we do know that you know there is a pay gap you know there is a wage gap with in relation to women absolutely um, so we looked at some of these issues equal opportunity uh, maternity protection you know whether that's being able to bring your child into work whether that's being able to you know have some flexible hours once you are a mother and uh, so the idea again behind this was you know going back to where we you know started this discussion is that you know many when we posted about these videos when we discussed these many people came up to me and they're like you know we had no idea mm. we didn't know that we could take our children to work or we mm. didn't know that you know our workplace is supposed yeah. to provide us a daycare and uh, unfortunately and these are women who work in you know corporate entities who are otherwise very well educated mm. very well um, aware of what's happening around them no absolutely and yet they didn't know and you know so it just really makes you think that you know those you know who um especially in relation to like undocumented workers domestic workers mostly mm-hmm. you know i mean they have there is they work in a completely complete legal vacuum mm-hmm. so you know i mean these are some of the issues i think that really came about during this yeah. study and especially when we were looking at the impact of you know um of of business on women and girls mm. i think the most um i mean the the most um what what at least in our understanding we saw that you know i mean those girls who end up working in different houses mm. are the ones who are most impacted by this mm. exactly. and Absolutely. especially with um covid-19 mm. um there was actually a study on this and how you know um gender based violence has now increased domestic exactly. violence has increased and this <laughs> domestic violence is often um um you know it, it's also passed on to the domestic workers mm. who are working in your houses and yeah. so they're also victims of the same they're form of violence of the same yeah. you know Oh, absolutely and so, i think um sorry, sorry please go ahead um i think especially for women and girls it's very hard to understand how businesses directly are impacting domestic workers and we've we've obviously tried to create that link as much as possible within our baseline assessment as well because businesses in 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 our understanding are not really engaging with the domestic workers right so there is not a direct link that you can essentially find but within our discussions that the center has had within the material that we've created we've tried to tell businesses of the ways in which they can sort of affect the rights of domestic workers as well they have employees who will in turn employ domestic workers there are a lot of hiring companies in pakistan now who are um, linking domestic workers to their ultimate employers as well so we're trying to create that direction as well okay even when you are a corporate entity for example if we go to a bank they're going to be basically very um reserved in their own understanding of how are we impacting domestic workers so we're basically trying to tell them that as a business it's not just your duty to affect your employees in a in an improved manner but to also look at people who are impacted indirectly by you as well and i think that is definitely something very interesting to me so that's, that's a, a very very important yeah. point i think uh really understanding bhr uh hmm. being far broader than just you know exactly. um uh businesses and their corporate hmm. social response yeah. csr programs and exactly. things like that looking at it as a whole something so But i mean even in terms of like you know even in terms of um corporate work hmm. and you know corporate structures and businesses and their work i think one of the major issues that we've seen over the years and something that you know there's a lot of talk about this on international and local media also hmm. is the hmm. me too movement exactly hmm. and uh sexual harassment at workplaces hmm. and i think you know i mean so many women um around the world in pakistan especially have mm. been subjected to it and um i a 
a focus of our research has been on looking at the protections that the law gives to women you know what are the avenues for redressal whether that's you know i mean whether that's constituting an inquiry committee at your office or whether that's just being able you know so being able to report something mm-hmm. like this and i mean in the, in relation to this i think you know we are very committed to working on yeah. on on issues related to sexual harassment mm-hmm. and um you know are conducting trainings with different organizations on 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 the redressal mechanisms on you know the definition of harassment because one of the main issues yeah. and i think you can agree with me on this exactly. is that you know many times people don't even know that they've been harassed hmm. so they're like oh you know somebody yeah. was talking to me inappropriately but it was after hours will this mm-hmm. you know constitute exactly. harassment and, and they sometimes don't know the ambit of the law so i think for us at the center we'd really like to not only look at the legislative you know ambit of what harassment is but sort of to try and change the culture as well so we're trying to maybe establish a social media campaign where we can actually tell people that this constitutes harassment and harassment is not only limited to the workplace it can happen in the public as well there are criminal charges that you can file against mm-hmm. a person so awareness right now is maybe so limited that even in public people don't understand that they have been harassed or if they know that they've been harassed they don't know that they can do something about it um but also that comes of course with the general structure in society right now but i think this is the first step towards change then no i think it's a very important step yeah. um so i also wanted to bring you in mm. you you mentioned social media campaigns and mm. and these things um and and i do want to discuss you know our our um training uh, yes. that, that we intend to do this mm. online training on sexual harassment but yeah. before that looking at the women at work series and and the impact that it's had do you think you know videos and and using social media and modern technology mm. modern digital uh, uh, avenues of of communication mm. uh, do you think that's a useful medium to be addressing some of these issues and and how far can we you know take that as an organization like yeah. arasa i think it's a very significant aspect of what we do and anything that is related to human rights of course um with social media accessibility for some people can be a problem yeah. however i still think that we can't just deny the power that social media has and i think now especially with um with the fact that we can engage with so many people and considering with over with covid-19 as well people are more access they have more accessibility to the internet um even if you look at facebook there are so many pages that talk about women's issues now so it's mm. just the idea that even when we were making the women at work series i remember we did share it to an all girls group on facebook and it was very well responded to so it's just the idea where people who are educated even might not know of what their rights are so these small social media campaigns can actually take this to a longer and um, get like a probably achieve long term goals that we have ultimately and all i think we cannot really deny um the impact that social media can have on all and, of these and, things and i do think that you know through these social media campaigns and you know by taking our work online we can reach a lot more people exactly mm-hmm. so you know in the past we've had a lot of people reaching out to us from mm-hmm. different areas of pakistan you know we'll have somebody texting in from you know like messaging in from larkana yeah. from hyderabad mm-hmm. and we don't really have an actual presence there hmm. but it's only because of you know the kind of you know because we've been able to take a lot of our work online you know create exactly. videos hmm. create, like have create like you know or develop social media strategies hmm. that we've been able to reach out to them yeah no absolutely and and just from from my angle looking at it um in terms of you know how a short 2 3 minute video can can 
at least spark the interest that, you exactly. know, this is a possibility mm. and maybe I can learn more yeah. about this. And then, you know, having them, diverting them to a particular page where mm. there's more information on, you know, maternity benefits at the workplace yeah. or uh, discrimination policies and, and, and things that, that can address that and certainly sexual harassment at the workplace. So now moving on to uh, the, the actual work that RSL is doing, uh, we are developing, uh, you know, an online training which, is, which should be free for everyone yeah. to, to use in Pakistan on sexual harassment. So would you guys like to please discuss uh, a little bit of, about that? Oh, do you want yeah, to? okay. So we are basically developing an online platform where we can give trainings not only to the general public, but to corporate entities as well. Um, my interest in this definitely has been from a general public angle because being a woman, knowing a lot of women, um, I know the kind of things that women go through. And it's not just at the workplace that you um, are subjected to harassment. It's, of course, much more in public that you are subjected to it. So mm. I think the idea behind us creating this um online platform was that especially considering with the me too movement there's so much um discussion on these things with um employees at the workplace with the general public with kids in schools that you ultimately want to create something that can help everyone so i think the idea behind this is that you want to first tell them what constitutes harassment so women know that a certain thing that has happened to them is not right because i think there's this cultural understanding where women are not supposed to say, oh, this has happened to us and, and this is a problem. So basically just identifying that something can be a problem and they can do something about it is is what I'm interested in. And and I think through these, I mean, you know, part of this training is also engaging with different, you know, um, because all of these things are very multidisciplinary. So no, yeah, there is a legal yeah. aspect to it, mm -hmm. but then there is also a psychological aspect exactly. to it. You know, a lot of people say, oh, you know, it took so many years for this girl to talk about this issue. Mm. Or, you know, why did she not discuss it earlier? Or why did she not tell a friend at the time? And, yeah. you know, it's very important. And, and through this, we're trying to create linkages with different, um, you know, different entities as well as different, you know, I mean, people working in different... Um, disciplines yeah. and just trying to understand what can the different impact of what, what are the different impact mm. um, in like you know what are the different impacts of this you know so yeah. if you have been harassed um how can this affect you psychologically mm. how can this affect you in your career and i think that's also very important in addition to giving people um legal you know, advice. The, the legal yeah. advice i think it's really important to give them this as well no, absolutely and and um you know, w one thing that we've all discussed about is the accountability aspect that, mm -hmm. you know, people know how to enforce their rights, how to go about, um, you know, complaining if, if harassment yeah. is taking place. But I think a, a very major portion of this, uh, especially for, for men, is understanding the impact that mm -hmm. sexual harassment and, and, you know, what constitutes sexual harassment. Yeah. Uh, then then looking at what the impact it has mm -hmm. on uh, on somebody who's who is being harassed. Mm -hmm. um, and so it really touches upon the prevention aspect. Once mm -hmm. you realize that these are things that are not acceptable in society, yeah. that are not acceptable at the workplace, um, I, I think that is probably the first step there. Exactly. Right? And then we go into the accountability. So I think it's a big, big issue mm -hmm. um, for, for men in Pakistan, mm -hmm. for uh, you know individuals working at a workplace, then what are the boundaries? Mm -hmm. yeah. you know, and, and what is... Um, uh, you know, acceptable conduct uh, mm. in a professional setting. And I think we, as a society, we are undergoing an evolution right now where we're trying to understand these things. But I think we need to sensitize our people more. We need to sort of understand that there are boundaries and it, it might have been different a year, some years ago, but things have changed and women know what their rights are or women at least should know what is right and, and, and I think, what you know, they have. Hopefully this will open us up to the idea that, you know, when something like the motorway incident happens, mm -hmm. there is a massive, you know, outrage. Exactly. But 
unfortunately things that happened before that or you know that form part of mm. this rape culture exactly. which is you know i mean speaking to somebody inappropriately looking at somebody inappropriately you know these mm. are all part of that culture yeah, we unfortunately don't we are not ready and willing to address that mm-hmm. and i think through campaigns like this and through studies like this we mm. will be able to and we hope that we'll be able to make you know your, the general public also understand that you know this this is where it stems from mm. this is where it starts you know i mean this basic discrimination is what gets you to that point where you know you have incidents like the sort exactly. that happened and you know you have people like you know the ccpo then making mm. the statements that he makes which mm. all become part of the problem absolutely yeah. absolutely and and you know uh, going back to the ccpo statement um you know the, the best Uh, argument that he's putting f- that people are putting forth uh, defending it is that um, he doesn't know right yeah. but that itself is the issue that's, right that's why doesn't he why know does why, why you know a person in such a position um, who who is commanding you know a, a very large police force mm. in one of the most uh, important cities in in Pakistan um, should be aware mm. uh, and especially of these things um, so so i think that's that's generally an issue hmm. uh, a lack of understanding of gender issues especially by men hmm. um, like at times i'm uh, you know despite being associated with uh, human rights and these things i don't have the vocabulary or i don't have the understanding of you know how do i address this particular issue or hmm. or uh, what role can i play yeah. uh, as an individual so i think this is you know uh, something that is really important that we should mm. be doing in society yeah. Yeah. Um, and and whatever role that rsl can play i think mm. that's uh, that's a great uh, great thing that we can do there yeah. sorry banana Yeah so I was just saying you know going back to the CCPO thing mm-hmm. and I really think you know I mean just tying it with some of the things that we're trying to do here mm-hmm. is that you know I think I mean a woman in his position would not have made the same statement yeah, and I think yeah, that's absolutely. it's very important to also have women in positions of power exactly. and women will only be in those positions where you know I mean they are given the room to for economic empowerment mm. and mm. i think you know that is also one of the main areas of focus at rsi yeah. you know ensuring women's economic empowerment allowing them to get to these places and to these positions of power mm. because it's so important to have female representation mm. um i mean i can say for sure that a woman in the same position would not have said something mm. like this exactly. because and i mean you know in this respect like i i said this earlier as well that you know i mean if you look at you know how how the minister for human rights reacted to it you could tell that okay you know this is a woman talking about mm. this issue and mm. that's why it's so important that there was a woman representing yeah. repre- that there there are women representing us but mm. we definitely need more of them no absolutely absolutely and uh, i just like to add i mean through the center i think one thing that i would like to explore is to just see how um i think for now we look at harassment and problems like the case here um as something that's very literal or in a very very narrow interpretation of things i think i'd like to draw on how it's not just harassment or it, it's it's ultimately impacting people psychologically it is impacting our constitutional rights as well it's impacting our liberty it's in, impacting our right to free movement the fact that the ccpo ultimately said that oh this woman should not have been alone at night says a lot because as a society we're basically saying that oh women are not supposed to go out alone after yeah. a certain time or they're not supposed to be driving alone so it's just these smaller things that i think i'd like to see in like a wider perspective as well to sort of engage with people and talk to them about how it we can't have a very narrow interpretation or a very narrow outlook to a, a problem that is far wider than it no, is um, interpreted as absolutely and thank you so much for for that so minahil and, and zohar uh, my next question is relating to some of the projects that you're currently doing um so could you you know 
discuss those a little bit? So we're working on a health security project these days, and that primarily looks at the right to health, which mm. comes from you know your right to life. And um, we're looking at, especially in terms of the pandemic, we're trying to see exactly how people have been affected by it. Uh, what, I mean, an, in addition to, you know, the legal setup and the legal landscape that exists for, you know, for your detection and prevention mm. and response mechanism when there is um, a health emergency of this mm. sort. We're also looking at what is the impact of such, an, of such a pandemic and is the government fully um, prepared to deal with something like this? And I mean, you know, I think with COVID-19, we we can see that you know there have been a lot of there have been a lot of issues at a grassroots level mm. so we're just trying to we're exploring all of we're trying to see what all can be done so that in the future something like this doesn't affect you know women children um marginalized groups as much as it has right now mm. no absolutely and and i think one of the most interesting factors is that and a lot of people might not be aware but there is an international mechanism that deals with is, specific yeah. you know uh, epidemics or, or pandemics mm, yes. um, but also i have been very pleasantly surprised there is something in pakistan as well we is, have yeah. a very good um plan which is uh, relating to preparedness and responding to a pandemic um but i think ultimately the problem does trickle down to implementation, implementation and, and how in pakistan we usually ultimately create these ad hoc decisions having these documents we have not referred to it at all so when covid-19 happened we had to establish a whole new national action plan on to deal with it but the plan that had already been created was never referred to, never referred to which is so we, had we had a whole plan which talks about preparedness and responding to an to a pandemic which is really great for me when i was looking at it this is back in 2014 and all the things that it says okay. are the things that have exactly happened in 2020 so it talks about quarantine it talks about detection it talks about surveillance communication everything but what was also very surprising is that they had to create a completely different action plan for covid-19 and and the existing framework was never looked at also because the institutions within the existing framework were never created Yeah, so again, I think it goes back to that, that point that you know, on paper you can have something that you looks beautiful it. that that seems to operate, but when it comes to when you actually stress yeah. test it, um, you know, that says a lot about, about the competence of our people. We have competent people. <laughs> yeah. we, we someone wrote this someone plan, which was which plan. was which is a great framework, and it it creates and it talks about everything that we needed right about now to deal with this pandemic. Underutilization is underutilization is the problem. No, and I think. also the the magnitude of mm. covid-19 like mm. this was a inter, you know a global event mm. and it affected pakistan in so many different mm. ways right so from from dealing with uh, you know people coming in through airports and mm. and then dealing with quarantines within you know uh, each sector and and it was just a you know a nice also event. very interesting within the plan they have three scenarios where they're like oh if the risk level is low this is what we're going to do if the risk level is moderate this is what we're going to do so it creates a whole framework for high risk situations as well so i was thinking if all these institutions were in place we would have and even now i think our response to the pandemic was uh, was adequate was pretty better good than many other countries exactly um but uh, it could have been better it was very surprising for me to see all of that already in place No, absolutely, absolutely. Well, this is the joy of research, right? Exactly. You, get, you get to discover so much more about uh, these issues. Minhal, um, I know another uh, area that we want to uh, take the the center is is really looking at freedom of expression, right? And and seeing how, especially in Pakistan in these days. Um, but this has been, you know, an issue throughout, you know, the last three, four, five decades in Pakistan, hmm. where 
freedom of expression, whether it's uh, in the print media initially and then you know, on, on social media and, yeah. and all of these things, how that's being censored or suppressed or mm. uh, those issues. So would you like to comment on that, please? I mean, you know, in terms of that, that's definitely an area that we want to work on more. And especially now, because I think it's most relevant these days with social media, with Twitter most particularly. Yeah. And nowadays you can see, you know, with a lot of these ads and a lot of, you know, different, um, you know, I mean, there's things on TV that are getting banned. Hmm. And then we can see this banned culture now. And um, in, in terms of social media, I think it's actually a bit dangerous because, hmm. you know, so many people are now, I mean, it, it's big, it is a criminal offense now hmm. to say something defamatory. Yeah. And um, I mean, you know, in the, I in think the, that's one area that's exactly. You know, and I don't know if we can speak about it publicly, hmm. but I will. I think uh, we can. You know, I mean, you know, with the Ali Zafar and Misha Shafi case, and you know, the, the fact that you know FIA now has like lodged an FIR against fourteen people, yeah, and all of whom shared a tweet on Twitter. Hmm. So you know that just the fact that that in itself is an offense mm -hmm. is something very problematic in yeah. terms of our you know in terms of the right to freedom of expression, which is something that our constitution guarantees. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So I, I mean, it goes back to this, and, and this debate has been raging on for for. You know, decades, if not centuries, mm. on, on you know defamation itself. That, mm. uh, to what extent do you use the law to protect reputations, right? Um, and and especially in the context of things like sexual harassment, where evidence is very difficult to find at times, mm. uh, or it's happened uh, and time has elapsed, and therefore you know um, a lot of problems come about. Um, how then do you protect uh, you know whether it's reputation or, or things like that, and especially in this particular case. Uh, the Ali Zafar case that mm. you mentioned, what, how are people supposed to react to that? And especially on social media where usually, you know, anything flies, right? I uh, think there are alternatives. I think um, the idea that you can use um, laws for your own patriarchal gain needs to end. <laughs> because ultimately, I think um, laws must be there to protect everyone. And then this one-sided um, situation, which we've been seeing for a very long time, not just in, in a particular case, but generally where laws have been used for um, just encouraging patriarchal values, I think that again goes back to how our society thinks. So ultimately, laws need, again, that brings up my earlier point as well, you need to update your laws, you need to look at how they apply now. The fact that defamation is a criminal offense needs to be looked at, needs to be reviewed, needs to be amended. Um, the ways in which it is used needs to be amended. We can obviously follow best practice in this area. We can make it a cautious um, um, thing, but at the end of the day, compensation should be enough. But ultimately, that leads to, I think, what the CHR is about. We can research more on this area, find alternatives, give the state some recommendations, and then hopefully Let's that would lead to change. Where that takes us. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, and, and it becomes, I think, sorry, uh, just, just going back to this issue, um, it just becomes such a, a problematic discussion because mm. now we're in an age of disinformation, misinformation, yeah. uh, fake, fake news, news. <laughs> uh, and all of that. Um, and, you know, where, you know, patently false statements are made against individuals or mm. uh, against organizations or, or things yeah. like that. How do you deal with such, mm. such things? And just generally the discussion on fake news and, and how to yeah. deal with that. Because we're, if we're living in a, you know, post-truth era mm. where literally there are entities around the world which are, whose job it is to confuse the masses or to confuse a particular population, mm. um, that becomes such a difficult discussion to deal with, especially from a human rights perspective. Yeah, when, you're, when you're looking at and trying to balance both sides mm. uh, of the argument no, there. Of course. Yeah. But that's why we're here also. Yeah. <laughs> that's what the CHR will do, that we can go into this research and then identify areas which need review. No, absolutely. I think yeah. that that's one of the 
perhaps most important aspects that that the CHR brings to the you know the legal landscape in Pakistan. So my final question, and we're going to uh, end it after this, is where do you see both of you? Um, the Center for Human Rights, where do you see it going now? And what are some of the areas that you feel you want to intervene and uh, really do some research and, and produce some some quality work there? I think so for me, um, one area which I really want to take this to is public interest litigation. And I really want that, you know, considering we're all lawyers, we all have licenses and uh, we are otherwise very well equipped to be able to. And, you know, we have, I mean, at between ABS and Co and RSIL, we have mm-hmm. about, you know, 50 plus lawyers. Absolutely. I think, you know, a really a, this would be one of the I mean, if there's one thing that I would really want to do through the center, it is that, mm-hmm. that, you know, we can I mean, we don't need to hear a lot of cases. We can take up a few. Mm-hmm. And we can, you know, I mean, basically work on that. Yeah. So that's something that I really have. That that's what I have in mind. Oh, it's very CHR. interesting, and, and and it's certainly something that you know um, has been, uh, you know, a gap that in in our yeah, uh, yeah in, I, in the work that we're doing. And I yeah. feel like you know, by doing that, that's really going to affect the quality of our reports as well. Because mm-hmm. once we do actual practical work ourselves, also, I mm-hmm. think that's only going to help us understand the issues a lot more. Um, as opposed to doing like a, you know, like a, the, doing the kind of research that we yeah. do, which is a desk review mostly. Yeah. Um, I think for me, um, since I've been working at RSL, what has been extremely interesting is the level of engagement that we have. In everything that we do, so many people want to engage with us. So ultimately through the CHR, I think we should create like a platform where we can engage with human rights lawyers from all over Pakistan. Um, I think human rights, again, is seen as secondary sometimes. There are a lot of people working on this. There is a lot of civil society engagement that we have. So through the center, I'd like to see more people engaging with us telling them telling us what they do in their own areas and trying to understand how this does exist all over Pakistan Mm -hmm. and how that can obviously be tied with our work as well oh absolutely absolutely um and and just uh, a final point um, I know that the CHR, like this podcast, is is going to have its is is having its own podcasts yes. and a series of these. Yeah. So, what are some of the the? I mean, what's the the aim of that particular podcast? And uh, Minhal, if you want to, uh, I think just to bring to light some of the issues and mm-hmm. and, and, and you know that are being faced by people today, and uh, also you know bringing together professionals and other yeah. and others who have you know interesting stories to tell. Mm-hmm. So you know whether it's you know calling on female lawyers or whether it's calling upon somebody who's you know faced a certain issue in their career I think you know through this we'll be able to you know highlight some of the issues that are being faced and also to discuss you know contemporary issues Mm -hmm. so whether you know I mean I would love to have people on board who can discuss the band culture in more detail and climate justice even yeah, um, the fact that we had a speaker series at RSL was very interesting. So we could just translate that into a podcast and talk about um, subjects that people are interested in and, and we are interested in as well. That's brilliant. Thank you, both of you. Um, I will see you back at work. <laughs> but uh, thank you, Minahir, and thank you, Zoha, for joining thank us you. for this. Um, and I really hope that the viewers will stay tuned to all of our podcasts uh, because there's so much that you know RSL is doing and so much that people all around us are doing. Uh, so we'd love to be able to take this discussion on human rights, uh, what the center is doing forward. Thank you. Thank you.